The sermon this week is seeking to answer a question that I received in an email a few days ago. It was an email that I got permission to share with you all because the question that was asked in it is a question that all of us are asking in different ways, in different forms. And if we're not asking it now, we have been. And if we're not asking it in the past and we're not asking it now, we will be in the days to come. The question that was asked of me was around the idea of hope. A term that we use here at Covenant a lot is not just the idea of hope, but the idea of living with hopeful expectation. The idea that a flourishing life is one that has the ability to look forward into the future as unknown as it is with a sense of hope and expectation for what's to come. And, and this person sent me an email asking the question of whether that can be cultivated in one's life. This person was saying that they're trying to stay positive, they're trying to stay positive for their family, uh, sometimes they feel more positive than other times, but they said sometimes when it look at what's happening in the world, living in the midst of this pandemic, when it feels like the things we're learning about ourselves, uh, about our culture, uh, is difficult for us and difficult for us to know how to navigate, when it feels like at some level we're coming apart at the seams, how do we have a sense of hopeful expectation? Because this person said sometimes I'm just struggling to be able to believe it. Sometimes in the middle of the night, when you're lying there wondering about all that's taking place, you wonder, maybe I just don't have enough of it. Is it something that some people are just born with? Or is it something that you can cultivate, that you can grow, that you can discipline yourselves to find? It's a really critically, centrally important question, especially at this time in our history. And I believe that the scripture passage that Paige read for us today is a way of answering that. Now, this scripture passage from Exodus 15 is actually the uh, scripture passage from the lectionary for this Sunday, September 13th. It's the Old Testament reading, and it comes at the very end of the events of the Passover. And so what I want to do for us for a few minutes is to take a, a bit of a journey with you back into the events of the Passover, as well as how the Passover is celebrated here still today, in order to get a better understanding of how this scripture can answer the question that came in this week of what if I just don't have enough hope? How do I find it? As many of us know, because we actually talked about events of the story uh, of Exodus in the beginning of 2020, which feels like a decade ago, but we did study it. We know that the Passover story is the final of the 10 plagues that are sent by God upon the Egyptian people. You remember that Moses uh, was called by God, as Jill talked about last week at the, at the burning bush, uh, uh, Moses turning aside from his daily responsibility, seeing something unusual, God doing something and going and, and pursuing it. This was God's response to his people being enslaved in Egypt for 500 years. And Pharaoh is uh, the, the ruler of Egypt. And God sends Moses into the court of Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And Pharaoh responds, as you would think, a, a, a tyrant would, uh, who has an enslaved people that he benefits from. He laughs Moses off. But Moses then performs signs and wonders. God sends these different plagues to bring difficulty to the Egyptian people, seeking to break their will and to break Pharaoh's will of the idea of holding slaves. But Pharaoh continues to say and to refuse uh, Moses' request to let the people go free. So finally, this 10th plague comes, and it is an awful plague, seeking to end an awful and oppressive system of slavery. God says 
that the firstborn in each household will die one night, that an angel of the Lord will come to do this work, and that the angel will pass over each and every household of the Hebrew people. And the way that you'll know that it's the Hebrew people is that there will be a lamb that the Hebrew people on this certain night are supposed to eat for dinner, and then they are to smear the blood of the lamb on the door frame of their house. And when the angel sees that, it will pass over that house and go on to the next one. You can imagine the anguish in Egypt as they woke the next morning. And it is this final plague where Pharaoh finally says to Moses, go, take the people, go. God says to Moses, get the people moving quickly. Pharaoh could change his mind at any moment. The people didn't have time to to even properly have the right kind of food and prepare for the journey. It's why in Passover still today, unleavened bread is eaten to remember we didn't even have time to make our food the right way. And Moses leads them north into the east, eventually to the Red Sea. But after a few days, Pharaoh, uh, stewing in all that has happened, changes his mind and sends his army after the Israelites to kill them. And they find themselves in this dramatic moment, which we read about in January, trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, certain of their demise. And God, as you remember, says to, to Moses to take your staff. Everybody needs a staff, we talked about. This shepherd's staff that had been with Moses when he had seen the burning bush and experienced the call of God, this staff that he had carried into the courts of Pharaoh that had been the sign that he had used to do these miracles and to to, uh, bring these different plagues into existence, this staff that was a sign of God's faithfulness and call to him. God says, take that staff and stretch it out over the water and the waters separate and the people then pass through the sea on dry ground with the, the ocean and the marine life all around them, but they come out miraculously on the other side. As Pharaoh's army goes into the water, it crashes back upon them and it consumes them. And the Hebrew people realize that they have been delivered and that they are free. Now, it doesn't mean everything is sorted out. They have a desert out in front of them where they're going to go. They have no idea how this is going to work. But in the verses that Paige read, the Passover story is culminated by the people singing this praise. It's known as the Song of Moses, singing praise to God who is a warrior who delivers them from slavery and bondage and oppression. This is how we have to understand Passover, not as a day, but as an event. And indeed, this is how it's celebrated. We have a hard time because when we think about Passover, when you look up the date, what Google tells us is the date when Passover begins. And those are the events that most of us are most familiar with. But we know that that festivals in the Old Testament were often longer than how we think of it. We think about holidays as a day, right? But but uh, Thanksgiving Day, July 4th, New Year's Day, Christmas Day. Festivals in the Old Testament often lasted much longer. If you think about the Gospel of John, the first miracle Jesus performs is at a wedding in Cana where he turns water into wine. And the reason that they run out of wine is because weddings at the time could take a week. We, we give it an afternoon and a night for the reception. It would be a week of celebration. And in John's gospel, Jesus is there, the Son of God, in the middle of the party, celebrating for this couple for, for days and days and days. Hebrew festivals would often last, the high holy days would last sometimes for a week or more. The events of the Passover that we associate with also focus on a day, that first day, the Seder meal that some of us have had the opportunity 
to um, partake in is an amazing experience to celebrate the ritual and the, the liturgy and the prayers and the meals when they, uh, Passover begins and we remember the story of God passing over the Hebrew houses, bringing this 10th plague and releasing the people from slavery. Indeed, that was the meal that Jesus had with his disciples. It's part of the reason we as Christians think about that meal as sort of the main event of Passover. Because Jesus gathered in an upper room with his disciples to have that Seder, that Passover meal. And as he was at that meal, he said to them, one of you tonight is going to betray me. And then he took some bread and in the middle of that meal said, this is my body broken for you. He took a cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant poured out in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus, in fact, as we understand it as Christians, becoming the Passover lamb, the one whose blood was spilt so that in grace, God's judgment would pass over us. So that meal for many of us is the focal point. But did you know that Passover is an eight-day celebration? That Seder meal only happens in the opening day or maybe the opening two days. But it's an eight-day event. And that the holiest days for the Passover are the days at the beginning, but also the eighth day, the day at the end. Because this is the day where the Passover event becomes complete because the folks sing the Song of Moses, what Paige read for us today. That's the liturgy for the eighth day. And there's something theologically important about the eighth day of the celebration of Passover when this scripture passage that's our lectionary text would be read from. Because for the first seven days of Passover, the focus is back on what God has done, remembering the miracles of God that brought the people out of Egypt. But on the eighth day, things for Passover begin to pivot. That this liturgy, which we read today for our lectionary text, is a movement that takes place in Exodus 15, where the people then start looking out into the future at what will come next. And the invitation theologically is for the people celebrating Passover to begin spending seven days remembering but on the eighth day, on this final day, on this holy day, looking forward and saying, God didn't just do this in the past, but we need to apply this to the present and we need to apply this to the future. We need to start saying that the God who brought us this far is still with us today and will be with us in the things that we face. Dr. Alan Cooper, a a scholar, writes about it this way. He says, while the first seven days of Passover unfold in historical real time, The flight from Egypt on day one through the drowning of the Egyptian cavalry on day seven. Day eight brings us back to the present and reorients us toward the future. The two are intimately connected. The beginning and end of one process with God in the future redemption showing wonders as in the past. For seven days, Dr. Cooper's saying, we look back and remember what God has done. But on this eighth day, we apply it. We apply it to what's taking place in our life today. We apply it to what's taking place in the world around us. We apply it to the future that stretches out before us, which is unknown. But what is known is that the God who was with us before journeys with us today and journeys with us in what is to come. And this answers the question that was sent to me in an email. How do you cultivate hope? Is it something you're born with? Is it something that I just don't have enough of? Is it something that I can learn? And the answer to that is yes. And the way that we we have hope in our lives is to remember, 
to remember what God has done before, and then to apply that as we see this lectionary text doing in the Passover story, applying it to our lives today and applying it into the future. I wonder what it would mean if we disciplined ourselves in this task, in this work this week. If we, in our own stories, remember. The the prophet Jeremiah says that one of our problems is that we are a forgetful people. And when we forget what God has done, we, we, we lose hope for the future. When we forget that this isn't the first time we've faced uh, hardship or struggles or, or, or dead ends or feeling like we're coming apart at the seams. When we realize that God was creating and recreating and redeeming and transforming as we walk through that. When we remember back and, and don't forget, it reminds us of the one who got us through it before and it allows us to do the work of the eighth day of Passover, which is applying it again to our life today and to the future before us. And so I invite you this day, I invite you this week to remember your story, to remember our story, to think back on all those times where doors were closed or where where grief or pain or loss or difficulty or, or uncertainty seemed to be the defining narrative of your life or our life, to remember the ways that God showed up, the things you couldn't control where a new door opened, where a new possibility was started. And I invite you to remember that story and to claim it, to go back five years, 10 years, 15 years ago, to remember those times of difficulty, to maybe pray them out loud to God, to journal about them when you're up in the middle of the night wondering how we make it through this, to go back and remember so that you can do the work that this text invites the Hebrew people to do, which is to then apply that same memory to our present and to our future. Share it with one another. Share it with your family. Share those memories with your small group. Share them with one another so that we can encourage each other of hearing these stories of all that God has done in the past. And as we, as we do the work of remembering, hope for today and tomorrow, builds up inside of us. Yes, this is something that we can cultivate. It is something that you can cultivate. It's something I can cultivate, and it's something we need to in this time. By remembering that this isn't the first time that our society or our culture has struggled. And it won't be the last but God has seen us through us in the past and God will see us through it again. It's not the first time in our lives or in the lives of people we love that we have struggled with all kinds of very real struggles, but God brought us through those before. And as we remember that, we can apply it that God is with us today. God will be with us tomorrow. Friends, I invite you into this work of remembering so that we can live in hope, to cultivate it in your story. Hallelujah and amen.